The audio gets better in like one minute. Sorry. Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast's DreadX Collection Collection, the collection of episodes where we talk about the DreadX Collection. Uh, this time we're talking about the DreadX Collection 2, so if you're looking for the uh, other episode where Trouble Duke talks about DreadX Collection Volume 1 with Hand of uh, Doom, you're going to have to go ahead and go into our podcast library and just listen to all of them until you find the right one. That's uh, That's how I get paid. So... Anyways, guys, uh, the DreadX Collection Volume 2 is coming out August 21st. I'm really excited for you all to be able to get your hands on it. Uh, it's it's so cool. I feel like, you know, the first one, we were doing something really unique and different and special, but this one, it's like, you know, I feel like we've we've just kind of taken all the elements that people liked about the first and, and really kicked them up a notch. And um, I know I sound like a marketing show when I say that, but I'm really, really proud of, of the work that everyone's done. So, uh, you know, you can check it out now. You can wishlist it on Steam, which should be in the link in the description below. And, uh, yeah, so let's just, you know, we're, we're pretty much done with the production side of things. Now it's all just getting the last polishing and bug fixing and getting it out there. So we're taking a break to uh, talk to Reed here real quick, uh, a.k.a. Torpal Duke, about his new game, Undiscovered. So uh, without further ado, DJ, drop that sick beat. You know, I, I'm really excited to get into the, the meat of today's episode, but before we start, um, I just feel like I really need to do uh, a, a quick shout out to my boy Ben, because, um, you know, I feel like for a long time, uh, gamers in general have had the stigma uh, uh, in society of being, you know, through through depictions of films like, you know, uh, Revenge of the Nerds or uh, plenty of plenty of other movies where, you know, uh, the nerds are the punchline of all that they, they don't know anything about, you know, being social, they don't know anything about women, they don't know anything about uh, uh, romance, and that's, I mean, it's all true, but, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, I just, I really need to shout out uh, to my boy Ben, uh, Mr. Benny S. Ben Shapiro, for setting a new bottom for <laughs> understanding women and how their bodies work. Hop on top, I want to ride. I do a kegel while it's inside. Spit in my mouth, look in my eyes. This P word is wet. Come take a dive. And I, I just, I really, I really appreciate it because I, I, I'm, I was so tired of being on the bottom of the totem pole, but now it's all gamers and then uh, Ben Shapiro. So thank you, Ben. Anyways. Every podcast we talk about Ben Shapiro. It continues uh, along these lines. Uh, and it gets significantly, significantly more vulgar. Like a, a lot more vulgar. <laughs> well, he's just so funny. Star, are you aware of what he did recently? Shall we go into the details of it, or should we just move on? Politics. We're talking about video games. Okay, okay. Well, we'll talk about video games. The side side discussion about Ben Shapiro shall be on Jesse's spinoff podcast, You Don't Have to Masturbate to Everything. Talk your S-word, bite your lip, ask for a call while you ride that D-word. You really ain't never gonna F him for a thing. He already made his mind up before he came. Now get your boots and your coat for this wet-ass P-word. Pay my tuition just to kiss me on this wet ass. Pe- right, so this is deep, guys. This, this is what feminists fought for. Premiering soon, Jesse. Are you still working on that? 
Still working on it. Doing a lot of research? Always. That's good. That's good. What? What? <laughs> this is a joke from probably podcast number three we ever did. So this is an old throwback. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I say it. Hmm? So I was going to say, like, yo, am I on the right podcast? Like, what happened? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, uh, last time he spent, I'm not joking, 15 minutes talking about him crashing on his bike and bleeding everywhere. So and I didn't. He had a life epiphany from crashing. And this is right before the podcast. This is the opening of the podcast. And it was wonderful. And unfortunately, I didn't go through any catastrophic accidents that have made me very, um, uh, uh, clear headed. Like I haven't seen the light recently. Um, well, I hadn't seen the light until uh, I read the trans. Well, I listened to uh, Ben Shapiro reciting the lyrics to Cardi B's WAP, and it was it was Cardi B, right? Jesse, you're familiar with this whole debacle that's been going on. Um, I mean, I haven't seen the video, but I did. Uh, sure. I mean, in the last episode, I took the clip of Ben Shapiro. Uh, saying the lyrics and use it as a closing credits. Oh, was was that what you? Okay, because I was wondering what that was. That makes. You know what, WP, if you actually watch it, it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that's what she was going for. Was that she was like, let me uh, just harken back to Lewis Carroll's vision of a fantasy world. Carroll had that as his vision. Yeah, well, actually, to be fair, Lewis Carroll wrote Alice in Wonderland about a little girl he had a crush on, so I guess he was thinking about the exact same context as Cardi well, B's WAP. I but Torpal, because Torpal's married. Yeah, so... You can't see it, Torpal, I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, don't, don't bring me into this. I have no idea what y'all are talking about. <laughs> Good. You can do some research after we're done talking here, and you'll be like, that is pretty funny. I'm going to keep safe search on. <laughs> you have no safe search on that video. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. um, so anyways, everyone at home, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, just Google uh, Ben Shapiro WAP, and it's a great little rabbit hole to jump down. Uh, and we could talk for hours and hours about it, but we're here to talk today uh, about something far more important, uh, a new Total War game drop today. And I'm going to talk about that for two hours while the, the rest of these people talk about other video games. I'm just going to be rambling here about the new mechanics of the new Total War game. Anyways, no, um... That was taking up a lot of my morning, but we have to we have to get this done because this video game is coming out and the people need to know all about it. So, uh, Reed, how you doing, man? I, well, I was doing all right earlier after that rabbit hole, uh, Alice in Wonderland <laughs> reference. Um, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> he has no idea. Yeah, you have no idea where you are now, do you? No, I didn't. I didn't expect any of that. Whenever we started the podcast. Yeah, it's gotten significantly more exciting ever since I lost my mind. It was that bike accident, wasn't it? No. Uh, well, partially. Yeah, I'm sure that that helped push the last few uh, lemmings off of the edge, the precipice of the abyss that is my brain. Uh, the last few vestiges of sanity that were all, frankly, just waiting for their chance to go. So now that it's all gone, uh, life is much easier. I mean, it's much more liberating once you just, you know, once, once the void stares back and it tells you that you look great today, you're like, thanks, void. I'm going to be friends with you. Basically when you don't sleep for a week. Yeah. Trying to do games in two months. Yeah. When you stare into the void, sometimes the void stares back and sometimes the void's like, damn boy, you're looking good today. And I'm like, thanks void. We tight. That's, that sounds like the, uh, the perfect segue into like the theme for this game jam that we did. 
Yeah, I mean, we did do a game jam recently. Well, not really a game jam. A, well, a cur- you know what I mean. A curated game development experience. I'm trying to think up of the most like bullshit marketing tagline we could use in the future. I just said it was perfect. Curated game development experience. Yeah, yeah. that is. <laughs> I'm so good at this fucking bullshit marketing stuff that I can just come up with it right off the tip of my tongue. It's pretty talent. I'm pretty talented. Um, Reed, you made Undiscovered uh, for this. Uh, game development experience, didn't you? Correct. Which is uh, probably one of the few second-person games out there, other than I'm trying to think of some other ones. There's like Lifeline and... Um, Mario 64? Mario 64, technically, yeah, if you want to get real deep. Yeah, I mean, well, the whole definition of second-person game is that, like, it's, it's a third-person camera, technically, but... In the lore, the camera is being operated by a, a separate character than the one that you're controlling, and that's what second person um, kind of is. So, in Mario 64, Lakitu is canonically floating behind Mario the whole time, holding the camera on a cloud, mm-hmm. uh, making it second person. Yeah, I mean, I guess that this is um, an interesting uh, distinction, is because like the different perspectives has, has like film and um, uh, literature have different like like lexicons for what their perspectives mean like in, in literature a first person narrative is like i am the, the, like the 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 book is told from the perspective of the main character um and then there's some examples of second person narrative in books and uh second person narrative in books is a little bit weird because it's like the character is you um so there's a i think it's i think it's bright lights big city um, is an example of a second-person narrative where it's like you find yourself within the confines of this like massive city, and like the whole story is told as though you are the character. And then a uh, third person would just—I guess that's just books. Like you know, all the other books are third person, but in games, it's like something unique. I thought second person was when like uh, the the narrator is talking to you. So like, uh... are you talking about something like The Great Gatsby? Uh, well, I haven't read that. I hear it's not that great. It's just okay. It's an okay Gatsby. I'm ta- I mean, like, um, uh, uh, Catcher in the Rye, where he's like, yeah, I'm an asshole moron. But you, you agree with me, right? Like, that the, he's talking to the, to you. And- no, 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 that's not actually correct. So first person narrative would be that the story is told from the first person point of view, which would be Catcher in the Rye. Second person is that it's as though you are a character in the story, I guess. Um, like, you, you are the character. And then, uh, yeah, so... Wait. Like, under that definition, like, a choose-your-own-adventure novel would be second person, because you, the the player, quote-unquote, are making all the choices, right? I knew there was a reason we hired you. You're such a smart guy. Hey. I, uh, I did an editorial on second-person game. I think I got it all wrong. Okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, and then third person is usually known as like the omniscient narrator, or the the you know third. So you have the the you know the third person narrator is like some kind of omniscient being viewing the, and then you have limited third person, and then omniscient third person. So omniscient third person would be like this person can tell I can tell you what they're thinking, and then limited would be that you know the narrator can't tell you what they're thinking. So. Uh, Jesse, you might have to go back and uh, edit that article. I'm just kidding. I might have to. I might have to. We live with our mistakes here at Dreadx. 
P and the Dread X collection, everything else. It's easy to live with your mistakes when you never make any. I'll have to try that sometime. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. This, Sorry. Go ahead. Th- th- this whole like discussion we just had about what second person even is is kind of part of the reason I wanted to do it in the first place because it's it's not really done because it's really weird and like hard to do. Um, and so people just don't do it because it's like, why would I bother? That's stupid. And I'm like, that'd be kind of funny if I did that. Sure, let's try. And then I did. And I think it worked out. Yeah, I think it actually added, because that's always the question, right? Is like, what does this style add to the game? So, um, you know, if, if, Res- if the original Resident Evil wanted to be clever, they could have done a second person camera because um, like they could have had the, the protagonist be Jill or Chris or whatever, and they're running around. But, uh, you know, the, the camera angle is actually through a monitor and you technically are playing as a, uh, or observing as a character watching through the monitors. That could have been a second person narrative. Um, but I think that probably would have complicated the stories in other weird ways. But, you know, with the, your, the game that, you're, that you made, it was like, oh, I want to tell this story and I want to have an interesting way of telling that story. And so instead of just having it be like standard exploring a spooky temple with weird camera angles, you're like, let's kind of explain narratively the weird camera angles. Yeah. Um, pretty much that. Um, I'm trying to think of what all my like inspiration and stuff was. Um, actually, what you said about the Resident Evil example, like if you had like the stories told through like someone watching a monitor and like security cameras, is kind of similar to another idea I kind of have that's maybe a little bit related. Um, but it, it, like my idea is, you play the game third person, like over the shoulder camera. Whenever you like hit pause, the camera zooms out, and you're actually looking through like a crystal ball the whole time. Like you play as some like dark wizard like spying on like the hero of the journey but you're actually playing as them or something that'd be cool uh, which which i might try to make into a game at some point uh that that might be a spoiler for a future game who knows <laughs> yeah <laughs> if if we had to spoil spoiler tag every ideas that we had for future projects it would be very hard to hold conversations in general yeah yeah i people don't care like <laughs> it's like you're like red letter media people absolutely do not care they will still like enjoy like the movies even if they do spoil them okay here's here's my little rant here and and i i'm glad that star you said that because uh i i wasn't going to be able to rant this episode uh except about ben shapiro which is kind of tired at this point but this is something i can rant about that i'm very attached to which is okay. I run into other media types all the time doing Comic-Con, doing press junkets, doing press screenings, etc. Because you remember, I, I used to do film stuff. And I still do it from yeah. time to time. So it's like I used to go to all of these like screenings and junkets and stuff. And it was like, there's always those fucking people that are like, don't tell me what happens in this season. I don't want it spoiled for me. I'm like, your fucking job is to know what happens in this goddamn show. And you're saying that you like haven't watched it yet and you don't want spoilers? Like... Okay, I, d- I don't understand how anyone can be, like, a media person and not accept spoilers. Because, like, when, when you do one of these press things, they, like, send you a little press packet that has the beats of the show. And that tells you, um, you know, some of the, the big things, like, that you can and can't talk about because you usually get screeners early. And th- then you'll have these people saying things like, you know, like, oh, I, I you know... 
don't tell me what happens in this other show that this person was on because you know I'm I'm still I'm still on season two and everyone else is on you know the show's on season nine or something. I'm like okay, like look, it's your it's supposed to be your job to be caught up in this shit. Like to be fair, being a media journalist, not the hardest fucking job on the planet. You sit there, you watch movies, you watch shows, you play games, you write your opinions on them. There's a lot of movies and shows out there, so it's time consuming. But it's not like you're breaking rocks in the hot sun. You know, it's it's not fucking difficult. So when you're when you go into um, like these these press events and you're like, I haven't done my research and I'd like things not to be spoiled for me, please. It's like, wow, you, you just want to derail the whole conversation because this is, in essence, your hobby. You're not taking this seriously like a job because if you took it seriously yeah. like a job, you'd parse out the time to watch the fucking things you need to watch. Yeah, and most, like, unless it's, uh, like, a really important thing, you know, like, that people actually care about, which, let's be honest here, most people don't give a shit about most things. Okay, I, I agree. Yeah, it's true. Most people don't give a shit about most things. But it's not – when you're a journalist, it's not your job to be a fucking fan. Like so many journalists, quote, quote, are just like fans that are like outspoken enough and lack social consciousness enough to like put themselves out there enough to get enough of a following that they can get through the doors of a Comic-Con press room, which frankly is not that hard. But um, like what you're, when, you're, when you say that you like haven't – like okay – I have to, like, be aware of all the horror stuff that's going on. Indie horror, horror film, mainstream horror. I don't have time to play and watch it all because there's just not enough hours in the day. So if I don't have time to play or watch something, I look up a synopsis so I can, like, be aware of what is happening within the cultural zeitgeist of the world that I work as my fucking career. Because, like, you know, lawyers don't read every single opinion that comes out of the Supreme Court, but they will read, like, a lot of the abstracts and stuff so they can get the general gist. And then let's say that my, like, because my dad's a lawyer, like, let's say he had to go to court for, like, some, or, or had a client that wanted him to know something. He's going to go and read the case law behind it, but he's already, like, passingly familiar with it because of a lot of the opinions that he reads. And that's just, like... That's how any other job works. Like, you couldn't be a fucking cardiologist and then, like, someone comes in and is like, hey, have you heard about this, like, new procedure? And you're like, nah, I wanted to discover that myself. Like, I was, I was doing some weird electroshock shit with hearts and I, you know, I didn't want to read their research because it might taint my research. This is, like, not how any fucking other job on the face of the planet works. And yeah, that yeah. is how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I, I feel like people are, here's the thing, people <laughs> make assumptions about things, but they're not even things that they do. I, I don't know how to explain this. Um, okay, so they are like, okay, uh, let's do marketing. Okay, because that's all I know. That's the only, <laughs> only skill I have. Um, people are like, okay, so we're going to do, like, paid advertising, because that's what, like, the big, you know, AAA studios do. Yeah, we're gonna get our game, da da da. And I'm just like, do you care about paid advertising? Like, when you watch advertising, are you like, oh yeah, I gotta click on that? No, you hate it. You block people that advertise. Like, yeah, it's, you like despise it. So it's just like, if you don't like it, then why would you think other people would? <laughs> well, I think with paid advertising, there's like a certain point where certain companies just like have to to maintain the prestige. Yeah. Like you yes, know, like. I yeah, like Activision is dumping all that money on those Call of Duty trailers, not because like it's necessarily the case that dumping all that money is actually like doing anything, but they're Activision and they have to be the one with the the commercials on, you know? Like if there were no Call of Duty commercials for the next Call of Duty on YouTube, you'd assume that the game was like a horrible failure. 
Like, so they have to do it because they've set up this, their own standard for it. And it's standards that they make the rest of us follow, and it's not fair, because I can't afford Activision-level press spots. No, here's the thing. It's like, everyone, not, here's the, not everyone wants that. Not everyone wants AAA, corporate, especially in 2020. You know what people want? People want authentic. They want genuine. Uh, and that's why they go to, you know, YouTubers, right? Or yeah. like Twitch streamers, because that's what they're looking for. They're, they don't care about game companies. They care about people who play those games, you know, like their friends, themselves, and content creators they watch. That's yeah. what they care about. It's, it's a personality, not a corporate entity. And that's the truth. And so, like, we should, indies should not try to be like corporate entities. That just doesn't make sense. You are literally not playing to the, you know, the audience that you want to have. Yeah. And you know who has one hell of a personality? Ted, did you listen to anything I just said? Yes, I'm, I'm bringing it back to Reed over here, because he's got a great indie personality that people tend to really resonate with. He's, he's got oh, a... I don't know scenes. about that. Can you just, like, compliment Reed for, like, 20 minutes? Right? <laughs> well, I mean... No, don't do it. I always like having uh, Reed on to talk about stuff, because... Uh, he is uh, the developer that we, uh, he's like kind of our house developer now. He, it's, it's fun. Uh, I always enjoy seeing what he's going to do. Um, Reed, when you started in your wonderful world of uh, game design, did you ever imagine that you'd be making your bones, uh, making micro-budget indie horror projects over and over again? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think anyone ever thought that would like be a thing ever. Um, let alone for me, like myself. Yeah. Like I, I, I have no plans like in life at all. I'm really bad at planning ahead past like, you know, like an hour from now. Um, so if, if I imagine myself doing like anything period, the answer is no, I have no idea. <laughs> I can only live in the moment because I'm so bad at like looking ahead that I just don't try anymore. Yeah, I mean, you, you when we when we first were getting everyone on board, you were probably the biggest gamble, and we just kind of were like. It was like Erdorf said that this guy's good, and I was like, "All right, well, you know, if uh, Erdorf says it, then uh, we'll we'll try it out." And uh, people seem to really like. I think the last time we did our interview was before. I think we did our last interview before the first Red X collection came out, right? Yeah. So like, people hadn't had their chance to get their hands on uh, Hand of Doom yet. Yeah, the, the hand on the hand. The hands on the hands. <laughs> yeah, the, the going hand in hand with the Hand of Doom. Yeah, and I mean, and now that people have played it, what was what was that like? Because it, like it's probably one of the best received of that first collection. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, people bring it up all the time. That's like every time we're talking to someone that like we don't, uh, like know like kind of a new group of per person. They they're always like, yeah, that Hand of Doom game was really cool. Well, that's cool. Get yeah, I, I I got a really um, received a really good um, response to that from pretty much everyone who played it if they actually like took the time and like thought about what to do and could finish the game um i've, I've mostly what i've watched is a lot of um, people on twitch playing it um which is kind of a different mindset to what normal people <laughs> normal most people play who aren't streaming but um everyone's really liked it everyone said oh i love the the art style or the you know the vocal the you know the voice acting or it was really nostalgic or something so um I've gotten a really great response, and I've, I'm glad people liked my game. I was really scared of that for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I remember you were, like, kind of really unsure if people would be able to figure it out. I mean, going through the testing and stuff. But it seems to have really resonated with a lot of people that are looking for something within that that style that doesn't just doesn't seem to be really being, you know, served in the in the modern context. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a really weird sense of humor, and so whenever like there's a thing, I I think about like, okay, what's the logical conclusion? Like, how far can I push that thing? So right now, and for a while now, the big trend in indie horror games has been the PS1 style, really low poly and, and crusty and stuff. And I'm like, well, why stop at PS1? Like, let's go further back. <laughs> and so I was like, what about like, you know, MS-DOS adventure games or like dungeon crawler games from the like 1997? Um, yes. So I went, I went back even further and people seem to have liked that. A lot of people are like, oh, dude, oh, it's just like the game I played when I was a kid. Um, and that's been really funny to see. Yeah, I guess, though, uh, if you had gone any lower poly or lower res, uh, Erdorf would have sued you for copyright infringement. Exactly. And honestly, he did the same thing I did. He went back to Tiger Electronics, which is like a whole other realm. <laughs> yeah, I was actually shocked to, by the ending of uh, Erdorf's game. Um, which I guess it's okay to spoil since we just had this long conversation about how people who are afraid of spoilers are cowards. So, um, you know, at the end, <laughs> that's, what we said, yes. that's what we said. That was the conclusion that we came to is that they're, they're, they're not worth the arrows it would take to shoot them down as they flee from our mighty <laughs> hordes. Um, anyways, uh, Airdorf is, uh, his summer nights game, uh, ends, you know, with that, that twist, I guess I'll leave it semi-vague. But what I was less shocked about was the, uh, the the shift in perspective and more that he actually verified he knows how to make 3D environments with more than six pixels. Yeah. Um, we, we, he learned how to do that on Earl's Day Off. Whoa, I forgot. I forgot that you guys both worked on that. I always just imagine we, that's your game. Yeah, which, which is cool because most people, at least whenever we released it, thought it was just him. And I would be like in the YouTube comments, someone would play it, and I was like, hey, man, thanks for checking out our game. And I had comments that were like, who the heck is this guy? I thought Airdorf made this game. Yeah, fuck and this it was nerd. Like, it was like every single place in the game that you see his name, my name is right next to it. So I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, I'm, I'm glad that's like my game now. That's cool. I think it's so funny because someone like made a tweet about it like probably two weeks ago. Where they were like, you know, check out Torbal Duke's game, Earl's Day Off. And I like made some kind of shitty comment about like, wow, everyone always forgets Airdorf also worked on this, huh? That guy never gets any respect. And like they took it seriously because no one can tell when you're being sarcastic <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> but I, I figured that you'd get a kick out of that at least. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I think I made a comment. I was like, get wrecked, Airdorf, loser. This is my game now. <laughs> Which is funny. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. That was that was both of our game, and we're gonna we're gonna make a full version at some point. I'll say it until until it's true or like we die or something. But um, the dude had a kid recently, so he's been kind of busy. Um, oh, yes. I didn't but know. but yeah, yeah we're gonna... he had a kid uh, right before the last game launched. Oh wow. Yeah, the dude gave birth. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Straight out of his big penis, just carrying it right. <laughs> as, he carried that baby in his balls for nine months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have we have some plans and we had like a little a little virtual um design sesh the other day we both had some game ideas and then we just talked about like yeah for for earl we're gonna do this and that and we both got excited to make it again and then uh both remembered that we can't work on it right now and then just kind of walked away um, <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna be cool it's been rabid for faith three yeah, yeah, they are. And he gave me some updates on that, which was cool, but it's it's coming along. 
What about yeah. Faith 3D? Mm. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. That, that would be amazing. That was the thing that I think they were planning for a hot minute, but I don't think it ever happened. Uh, there was... I'll let Eridorf tell y'all more about that. Um, yeah. But there was some development work on that at some point. And I keep telling him, like, I'm, dog, when when you make Faith 3D, hit me up. Like, I'm here. I can help you. Please. Did any of you ever see Piranha 3D? That Piranha movie? No. No. No, no I don't watch horror movies, sorry. It was really good. Well, it's not really a horror movie. It's like a comedy. It's about, you know, piranhas attacking a bunch of people. And then they had a sequel that took place at a water park where the, the piranhas attack a Whoa. water park. And still, instead of calling it Piranha 3D2, they called it Piranha 3 Double D, like ah. 3D. As you can imagine, one of the key features of the movie was being at a water park, ample breasts. And I was uh, like, yes. now that, whoever, whoever made that marketing call, what? Podcast. Well, like whoever made the call to market the film as I'm such. Giving birth to his penis. Now you're talking about double D piranhas. Okay, so first off, age rating. So first double off, Erdogan screwing a baby out through his penis is incredibly talented, and I think we should appreciate the contributions of men willing to squirt babies out through their penis. It's oh just very. <laughs> it was a lot of work, and like it, you it stretches a lot, and um, basically his dick is ruined forever now. So, anyways. <laughs> and I get this clip, and whenever you have Airdorf on next, just play this back and get his reaction. Uh, but uh, the the Prana, it's just a good good marketing. All I'm saying is that if you did the marketing for Prana Three Double D, you always have a job with me. I will I will hire you to market our indie little indie games because that is a or it's a man or woman of vision. I'm not saying. Uh, which gender the person is that created that vision, but I do know what their vision is. And uh, it's very specific. See, now I'm just picturing Faith 3 Double D. Now that's that's why I was saying it. I wanted you to imagine Erdorf trying... What if it was Dread XXX Collection? <laughs> oh, yeah, like BMX Triple X. Did you ever... Star, are you familiar with BMX Triple X? No. So there was a, a biking game you know, like BMX game. It was when Tony yeah. Hawk was popular called Dave Mira's BMX. And uh, I think it was Dave Mira. It was yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah. So basically it was a series of games that they were making. And this was made by, uh, I believe, Acclaim, um, who named themselves, who basically Acclaim and Activision used to be uh, the same company, but then Acclaim split off to form Acclaim. And they literally named their studio Acclaim, A-C-C-L-A-I-M, because that would put them higher on alphabetical listings than Activision. So right off the bat, great way to start your company is just spiting Activision. Um, and they, they made a number of very, very questionable marketing decisions. These are the people that uh, were like, uh, for Shadow Man, um, if anyone died and had a Shadow Man tombstone, they'd pay for the funeral costs. Or if anyone named their baby Turok, they would they would like pay for the birth or whatever. Or when yeah. one of their racing games came out, they would pay the speeding tickets of anyone that was caught speeding that day. It is it is truly marvelous how long this country company managed to stay alive with terrible uh, marketing decisions. And they made a game called BMX Triple X, which was it, it combined uh, BMX gameplay with a very very poorly pixelated footage of like a strip club. And that was like, and, and you could also play as a lady with her boobs out. And that was like the whole gimmick. 
And that made its way into the title of BMX Triple X. And Dave Mira was like, please don't put my name on your game. And they were like, okay. And so they took his name off of the game, but they still featured him prominently on all the marketing materials. And he's like, I'm going to sue you so hard. And then they're like, no, 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 it'll make a lot of money. You'll be very happy. And then it came out. And then, um, spoiler alert, he sued them very hard. And they were like, how could we have seen this coming? <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then the company collapsed because that's what happens. Yeah, you know you're doing really well when you're like, we need to sell more. What do we do? Let's put some chicks on it, dude. That's, that's like the ultimate last resort, like scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys remember X-Blade? The game X-Blade? No. So yeah, that's the one where the girl's booty cheeks were out. Yeah, right on the cover. It was like X-Blade. I gotta this up. Then each X is framing her butt. You have to see, you have to see Wait. this character design. Please Google this character design. It is such a disaster. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, is I remember when it came out, people were talking about that butt, and they were oh, saying... This one. Yeah, because it was around the time um, various debates tend to recycle themselves in gaming history. And I remember at the time, w w there was a large debate. Uh, I mean, this is before, uh, you know, coronavirus and the Trump was the president and all this stuff. So apparently we just had time to argue about all kinds of other shit. Um, so people were talking about how, um, like, there should be... That, that there were too many big boobs in games and that we needed to have more realistic uh, body depictions. And I think that they're, the way that the developers of X-Blade took it was like, everyone's mad about all these big boobs, so instead let's just focus on butt. And they were like, hashtag feminism, and then <laughs> I don't know if it did well. I don't think it did. What? Did you just make that up? No, no, no. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely making it up because uh, a lot of the discourse at the time was about that and and so when they came out with a booty game as opposed to a boobs game and people were like what and they were like we like booty instead of boobs and i was like what like that's the way you took this this conversation it was a big thing I, at the time i think i might have played a demo of this or something like when i was a kid maybe i remember this game and i remember it like not being fun but i don't remember the butt so that's that's what i got out of it it wasn't, like, a terrible game. It, it was kind of like this game that came out around the time uh, Ninja Blade, I believe. Or is Ninja... Ninja Gaiden? No, 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 Ninja Blade. It was Ninja Blade was a Ninja Gaiden knockoff. Oh. Um, and the whole game was Quake Time Events. And uh, so X-Blade was, like, a God of War knockoff. Um, but with Kratos instead having a bodacious butt. Sorry, Kratos having a female bodacious butt, because we all know that Kratos is dummy thick, and it's pretty hot. Honestly, I wouldn't mind a game like X-Blades, but it was, like, full-on, like, butt was the focus if it was a dude. Yeah. Like, it would right? be totally different, and I feel like it would be way more acceptable. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is, though, isn't it? Well, their butts aren't yeah. out, but they're yeah, they're still, they're, like, hot dudes. Yeah. They're not sexualized like the female body is. I don't know. Those are some sexy dudes in JoJo's. Jesse, back me up. What? Uh, I will no. not. All, all the JoJo's after, like, Arc 2 are, like, sub-17. Oh, really? Because I thought that they... Well, no, the original, like, Dio and stuff are all, like, hyper-ripped jacked dudes. Yeah, okay, but, like... Okay, uh, assume that all women want that? When women want uh, Sephiroth, Cloud, Z like, Link, you know, that's... Loki, that's what women... uh, Conquer, 
Mm-hmm. We want uh, the pretty boys. Yeah, yeah we, exactly. We want the the my female friends, and they're like, "Ooh, Link, he's so cute." Ooh, Edward from uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, like that's who they okay. like. Edward from Full Metal Alchemist is like twelve years old. Your friends are pedophiles. This is not okay. I mean, this is when I was in high school. So, okay, fair enough. Like, we're all like fourteen. So yeah, that's, it's... that's how old it. Yeah, one of my great one of my great realizations has been exactly what you just said where like like what what a hot dude is to a guy is so different from what a hot dude is to a girl like i I, I had had a college professor one time we were talking about it was like art history we're talking about louis the 14th and how dudes with like slender shapely legs were like really manly um and he was like all right class name name uh, uh like famous men who you think is like really masculine and manly simultaneously um one girl in the class said george clooney and i yelled out hulk hogan Um, (laughs) which i was like that's a pretty good illustration of of what we're talking about here yeah absolutely like have you seen like umbrella academy that just came out like all the girls just like klaus oh my goodness which one's klaus uh the very androgynous you know person is like and not the big buff guy, like. Yeah, but like, okay, let's let's flip that around. Like, the androgynous guy might be hot, but if that big buff guy was like holding a baby while like cooking dinner and like listening to you, like you'd think he was hotter. Not for me, but maybe for some. You know, the the weird thing is like women aren't all the same, and we have different tastes. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> some. Yeah. No, but guys are though. That's that's the truth. We're all the same. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> well, I think that guys are just less picky. Like, I don't know. Like, I've always found that, like, you know. What? Like, I've never, I've never had, like, I've heard so many men, like, men just pick women apart with, like, like, all her hair is ugly or her nose is weird or her, No, no, any dude that's doing that is just fronting. Like, he's just fronting. He's just like, I don't think that she'll have sex with me, so I'm going to tear her down to remove the possibility of being rejected from my mind. Random women online, like, they literally have charts of just like, okay, so she's hot, this actress is hot, this one isn't, you know. But, like, no dude that I know in real the real world that, like, gets, like, laid consistently, like, takes part in any of those charts. Because <laughs> it's like it's such like a it's it's such a weird front to be like I wouldn't fuck her. It's like oh cool was she like banging yeah, down your door? I've never met a woman in my life who does that. <laughs> who judges guys' physical appearances? Uh, well, it makes charts and uh, like has it down to a science. I don't and know. I think that there are some parts of different body parts and like has like this <laughs> these. <laughs> I'm just picturing like one of those like big boards with like red string that goes across and like. (laughs) (laughs) I think that I think that women overestimate um, like the actual gumption because like I think that like usually like when 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 women say like that they aren't interested in someone they usually mean it whereas guys there's this whole layer of like I'm saying it so that I don't get rejected like it's like a preemptive defense mechanism. And I think it's just a difference of perspective. I remember this guy ranting about how women should never cut their hair and how disgusting it is that women like have short hair. And then the next time I saw him, he was dating his girlfriend with short hair. <laughs> well, and this this just goes back yeah, to what like, I said about right. the, I think I said this in a previous episode several times that the dudes um, that are most vocal about like, they're like, I hate gay people. And it's like that dude wants to suck a dick so hard. Like, <laughs> 
Because he's thinking about it all the time. He's just like, how are all these dudes putting dicks in their butts and mouths? It's like, well, you were th- really thinking about this. Because, like, I remember, like, when I had the moment where I, like, it's like, oh, you know, like, gay people exist and they have different sexual preference. I was like, oh, that's a thing. Okay. And then I moved on with my life. And I, like, didn't think about it, like, too much. Because, like, I didn't, like, it didn't awaken the Kraken inside of me, you know? Like, but apparently there's a lot of dudes out there that's just like, all these feelings. And then they're like, I'm going to project this outward so hard. Like, and that's their whole life. Anyways, the point I'm making, uh, I don't know. What are we talking about? I have no idea. <laughs> this is a really good sign. Uh, all the podcasts <laughs> that go the best. Started that. Yeah. Um, I think we're, oh, talking, we're about... talking about Airdorf birthing out of, out of his wiener. Yeah, yeah. About his Why penis dick babies. <laughs> this podcast is great. <laughs> Unveiling Airdorf's newest project, Dick Babies. Like, what? Like, what the fuck even is this? Airdorf lost his mind. Now, there's some body horror for you. Ah, that would be it. Yeah. Whew. So, I don't know. Uh, I think regular birth is already pretty body horror in real life. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Do you have any kids? You... Me? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. See, the Vikings had it right. They're like, and then you go like, knock some bitches off, and then fuck off back to Denmark. I'm like, yeah, you party, bro. <sighs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> I wasn't there. I, I can't say one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, the well, Assassin's Creed Valhalla taught me that the Vikings were actually the good guys against the mean old English. Hmm. You know what I hate about the Assassin's Creed Valhalla trailer? Because it's like, it's not enough that, like, it's just two sides fighting each other. One side has to be, like, reductionist, idealist good guys. And the other side has to be, like, sneering villains. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, oh. Why is there always an other? Like, what, you know, why why can't both sides be complicated and bad, but also good? No, the Vikings I, uh, are... What? That makes it harder. My favorite thing about that is like when you have like one side and it's obviously it's not going to be in the Viking one, but you have one side that's like the good guys, like the good knights. And then the other side are basically like Urukai, like they're just covered in corpses and skulls and like have blades like the size of them. Like they're just so over the top. It's just like, just put, you know, might like. Nobody looked like that. Just put other knights. Like, who gives a fuck? Yeah, well, that's the thing that I thought was funny about this fucking Assassin's Creed Valhalla trailer is that, like, all the shots are, like, of dimly lit English castles and then, like, Vikings playing with their kids in the, the field and, like, oh, and they're trying, they're letting the women and children go because they're good guys, which, by the way, neither side did back then. I'm not trying to say that the English were good guys and the Vikings were actually bad guys, but everyone did terrible shit back then. That was just, like, the world. Um, but then they have this stupid fight scene where Mr. Good Viking is fighting uh, a knight, but they can't just have him fight a knight. This knight is like nine feet tall. And I'm like, what world is this supposed to be taking place in? Like, did they just hire Andre the Giant to be one of their foot soldiers? Like, what in the fuck? I love, like, the armor that knights wear in the Assassin's Creed thing. It probably weighs, conservative estimate, two tons worth of metal. Like, (laughs) it's incredible that they they can move. Like... It's so, like, they look like space marines. <laughs> I've often thought about how cool it would be to be a space marine, though. Like, can you imagine being that tall and jacked? Yeah, just being a eunuch. Yeah. 
Do you hear this, Purple? Like, he is just obsessed with being jacked and being buff. Okay, Space Marines are nine feet tall, they have three hearts, they can eat metal, and they shit fuel, and they have no dicks. It's the perfect life. That is how all these, like, conversations, like, boil down to. It's like, Ted just is obsessed (laughs) with Jack. It's like JoJo. He wants to be in JoJo. Basically, yeah, that would be fucking dope. Who wouldn't? Yeah. (laughs) It's, like, it's so funny because women always, like, reach this conclusion, like, it's magic, where they're like, gosh, it's like the men's standards of beauties don't align with female standards of beauties. Like, yeah, no shit, we're not trying to impress you. We're trying to, like, flex on other dudes at the gym. That's, like, that's what love that <laughs> it's fucking great like if i want to impress a woman i'll like take her to dinner and like listen to her like feelings and like meet her parents and like take care of shit around her house like that's exactly. how i show i care about like, someone if men know this then why don't they do that because not all men know this i know this because i'm perfect but like i show my love to me by lifting obscene amounts of weight over my head over and over again and then being like yeah boy yeah like that's me shit you know like i'm not doing that for anyone else I'm doing it for all the other dudes that are looking at me. That's who I'm doing it for. Not for, like, sex, but, like, yeah, bro. And then we high-five, and then, like, you know, we shower. Because, like, you can't reach your back. You got, like, you don't want to get back knee. And then, like, who's going to shoot the testosterone into your butt? It's hard to do it yourself. When you're, you get so jacked, you can't, like, reach around to your own butt. I mean, you can if you're, like, not jacked, but you're not shooting up if you're not jacked, so. I feel like by the time we talk about Undiscovered, like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just just sitting here waiting to see how long Ted can go on his own. It's it's really something. We're not here for for the views. We're in it for the love of the game. (laughs) Not not your game, just the pod game. The pod game. Yeah. This is Ted's show. Your game looks cool, too, though. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's just the the look we're making video games here you know we're not we didn't we didn't discover the cure for cancer so let's let's deal with this with the level of respect it deserves which is you know slightly below people that you know actually flip the burgers at mcdonald's although i think those are all machines now there's no one that actually flips burgers okay, but here's the thing. there's nothing wrong with flipping burgers at mcdonald's no there's not there's the only yeah. bad job is there's only two bad jobs in the united states um and that Podcaster. would be podcasters and bankers. And gamers. <laughs> and gamers, Podcasters yeah. And Streamers, gamers, adrenochrone harvesters, all cops. At least they provide a valuable service. Gamers and... What, cops uh, or adrenochrone harvesters? Uh, adrenochrome harvesters. Okay, Cop, yeah. We'll, we'll save that for the other podcast. <laughs> uh, so, um... Uh, I, uh, uh, and I, I just want to state that when I say uh, all cops suck, uh, my, my brother-in-law is a cop, and he sucks too. Fuck you, Jake. Eat my dick. <laughs> Go to hell. Anyways, uh, Reed. Hello. How's your game? It's okay. Uh, that's good. Should people all buy right, it? All right, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> cold close on that. Um, Star, I know Star has plenty of productive actual questions for you. You want to you want to shoot one out? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> After all that, here we go. Let's go. All right. So the reason why I like Undiscovered is because, um, of course, I love those you know Indiana Jones movies back in the. I'm sure you do too, right, Torval? I've never seen one except for the newest one, the one with the with the Shia LaBeouf. That's the only one I've seen. Oh, wow. 
You just killed her. <laughs> you just straight murdered Star. You know what Star's favorite thing about your game is? Is that all the dudes are skeleton skinny, which is against the masculine stereotype that you need to be jacked to be hot, and she thinks that's very progressive. I just picture Star crossing out the next three questions on her list. <laughs> So if that, see, I don't like it when you say that because every time I, I post a lot of skeletons on our social media, so people are gonna think that it's like that thing. Yeah, skeletons are cool. You can like them they for a lot of reasons, cool, right? Yeah. There's a skeleton um, inside you right now. Whoa. Oh, you mean mine? I was like, how did you know? <laughs> um, uh, do you have Netflix, Torval? I do. That there, there are Indiana Jones movies for free if you already pay a subscription on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could watch them if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, who wants to watch right. old movies? Well, I can't actually uh, stand watching old movies. Did you watch Final Prayer, though? No. No, I don't watch very many movies at all. Okay. Well, you should probably watch Final Prayer because you did rip off of it to make your game. Dude, I'll rip off anything without having actually seen it first. That's my that's my thing. <laughs> you were legally contractually obligated to say that you have not seen that movie so that we can't get sued for you ripping it off. I mean, I've never even heard of it either, so... Okay, so I really love Indiana Jones. I like that sense of adventure. I like the, you know, I like the idea of going into, uh, like, an ancient whatever and like discovering a mystery so i like i'm actually obsessed with like ancient civilizations like i, I watch a lot of documentaries and i'll read articles about it and like that's kind of like my side hobby outside of game dev uh which is makes me super nerdy but oh, that's cool <laughs> so i'm i'm really into like machu picchu and like you know all of the yeah mayan ruins and temples and I, I to the point where i can tell the difference between aztec and mayan now it's really weird but yeah. also I, I like uh, other ancient civilizations it's a it's a thing it's really especially like nowadays with all this technology coming out on the internet people all over the world can decipher things it's not just like one dude who had a college degree like a lot of people can look at something and decipher uh yeah anyways it's really fascinating to me so i love games that kind of to kind of do that and it, this also goes into john smansky's game like charlotte's exile have you played that yet Torkel? no um I've, I've barely seen any of the other games at all oh, okay well he also has a sense of like ancient mystery because you're decoding an ancient uh eldritch language mm -hmm. um so it, it's kind of like has both of those like old aesthetics mixed with the that mystery angle to it so that's why I really like your game, is it's harking back to, uh, also it's in a different time period, like the 1940s, so it makes it, like, uh, feel differently. Because I feel like a lot of games nowadays are just, like, modern time, but then, like, you, modern time, but they're in an older environment, while yours is actually, like, an older time thrown into an even older environment. Yeah. So deep. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, and the, anyways, it's just, like, to me, I love Tomb Raider, uh, and I love, like, any kind of game that has that, like, games like Myst, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's why I really, like, was intrigued by, that's why I keep saying, I was like, I really like your aesthetics and your, your themes. I keep saying that to you over and over again, but it's because, like, I see so many games that are just, like, space age shooter game. And I'm like, yeah. okay, but I've seen this before like a million times. I don't see really like you're in the 1940s exploring an ancient Aztec tomb. Is Aztec right? Um, I think so. 
<laughs> you don't actually know. I, I forgot. It's been too long. Well, it's actually uh, even older than that. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, Star, to your point, I agree. Um, uh, there, there's like, yeah, future and space and Star Wars and stuff is cool. But there's so many um, places and like people and time periods and stuff of our own planet, of our own history, that are so completely unexplored with games that, like, you know, do we have a game about 1940s Aztec Temple in South America? No, we don't. You know, there's there's all kinds of stuff like that that no one's, you know, bothered to touch. Like, I get kind of bored whenever everything is like, oh, it's, you know, Greek mythology, or it's Norse mythology, or it's, you know, Journey to the West from China and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I've seen these yeah. before, though, dog. Like, give me something new. Right. So that's another reason why I kind of liked um, the setting I picked, because it's just different. You know what, actually? So I, I agree with you about the Mesoamerican um, tradition being like rife, ripe with um, for the, the plucking of interesting settings. You know what show actually does a really decent job of uh, m doing a modern context of Mesoamerican lore is the From Dusk Till Dawn TV show. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it, it kind of takes... So have you ever seen From Dusk Till Dawn Star? I know Reed no, hasn't. I won't even ask him. I'm a millennial. <laughs> what? I'm a millennial. So have you seen From Dusk Till Dawn? Of course, yeah. Yeah. So basically they take the concept of the two brothers from, from Dusk Till Dawn, which is the Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney characters, and recontextualizes them to be a modern retelling of the Mayan hero twins, which are... Um, a big, big part of Mayan like lore, uh, Jibalanke and Wanhunapu as they go through uh, like the ancient city of the dead, um, and it's basically about one of them kind of becomes a vampire and the other doesn't. So, and that is the representation of the the myth is that one of them becomes the moon and the other one becomes the sun, which is why they're twins. And it's like so basically one of them becomes the night and the other one becomes the day. So one of them's a vampire, one of them's a human, and that's the from death built on. I was like, that's actually really clever. Oh, okay. Now I have to, like, watch that. Yeah, plus the, the lead female is probably the most beautiful woman on the entire planet. She is 11 out of 10 gorgeous. Okay. I, she is. I'm just saying. <laughs> all right. she, and she plays the same character that Selma Hayek played. So, and we all remember Selma Hayek from, from Dust Till Dawn, as any young boy that grew up in that era remembers Selma Hayek. Ah, lovely. Lovely, lovely. She's a wonderfully talented actress. Anyways, uh, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Mayan stuff. Yeah, Star, there actually was one other thing that you said that I thought was kind of funny. Um, I actually do have a minor in art and architectural history from college. And Me so too. I Really? Yes. <laughs> That's cool. The only reason I have it is because I took two extra classes and I got a minor and I was like, sure, dog, like, I need some more hours. Um, but... Uh, I did actually enjoy taking some of those classes. Um, th th most of them were really easy, so I liked those. Um, it was funny. I took the class with a bunch of architecture majors, which I was not. And so I, I went to school for like 3D animation and, and graphic design and game development and stuff. I was really interested in like the stories of what was happening. Like, you know, oh, you know, in ancient, you know, Babylon in the city of Ur, they had these processional walkways where they would do these rituals. And I was like, that's pretty yeah. cool. But everyone else is like, oh, yes, the, the pillars are, are exactly this shape and, like, all this architectural stuff. And it's like, a bunch of nerds, man, I don't care about this stuff. 
And then on my first test, I made like a 30 or something. And then, so I had to get it with a teacher and be like, hey, how do I, how do I do this? Um, I don't know how to take an architecture class. Mm -hmm. So that was funny. But so I do know a little bit about all of that stuff. My first game job was actually working on a game, an educational game about um, the Italian Renaissance and all the history therein. And I was like, I wasn't hired because of my degree, but I actually was the perfect guy for the job. So it ended up being pretty funny. Yeah, um, I, I mean, sorry. And that, that's another game setting that we could be having games in, the Italian Renaissance. That would be super interesting. A lot of shit was happening at that time. Yeah, Assassin's Creed 2 <laughs> did that. Yeah, and they're like the only ones. Like, exactly. It's like everyone always cites that game because that's the only game that anyone knows. <laughs> it <laughs> is the that. only one. But how many, like, Space Marine games have we seen? Like, a million. Uh, or, like, medieval I, games. Yeah, honestly, it's because those are, like, cooler um, a dude in armor with a sword is like way cooler than a guy with like tights, um, <laughs> paint, like making a sculpture. That's just how it is. Like, I don't care about Michelangelo unless it's the Ninja Turtle. Like that's, that's the whole thing. <laughs> Man, I want to talk with you someday. Cause, uh, <laughs> I think you, you find, uh, oh, crap. What did the Greeks fight? Shit. Uh, Xerxes, Therius. The, the, uh, the Persians? 700 Persians. Yeah. We saw like they, they, I saw this uh, documentary uh, where they went through like what it was like to go through the capital city in Persia, and uh, it was just absolutely captivating. It was so interesting, and like I, I kind of want to send you that video because I think it would make for like a really good video game because they really set a picture for you of like what it was like to be in ancient times and kind of like your mindset of what it was like to see these like huge structures because if you're in ancient times like. The biggest thing you see is like a, a hut and a camel like that's exactly <laughs> one, one thing i was really interested in while i was learning this stuff was you know i think i'm actually what you're talking about where they like recreated like this ancient city and like went through it in 3d um but what i like is we learn about you know the ziggurat of ur or the building of the pyramids or all this junk but what i'm interested in is like they were real real life dang people just like you and me that did all the same stuff that we do every day and um like what was their experience like living in these ancient cultures like and so that's what i was always interested in finding out it was like these people lived in these little huts and they would like bake their bread like in their living room every day and then whenever grandma got too old she couldn't climb out of the ladder to hold the roof anymore so she lived the rest of her life till she died in the living room and they buried her under the floor and it's like that's all real life stuff like that's interesting um yeah, I forgot like, where I was going with all that. Well, we have all these like clay tablets around the. See, I'm sorry, this is like way more interesting to me than Ted talking about how hot Samuel Hayek is. Anyway, <laughs> she is so, she is super hot though. On, around the pyramids, uh, they had these little tablets, right? And basically, uh, back in the like clay was like plastic to them. There's so much clay around, and so they would write like memos to each other because like there was like the hieroglyphics, which is like you know the the top end shalon would have that, and then they had like Doric. Or Dom, I forget what exactly what it's called, but that's the language of the commoners. And we have like, like thousands of these like little like memos to each other of being like, yeah, my wife is divorcing me and it really sucks. Or yeah, I'm very constipated, so the doctor can't figure out what's wrong with me. Like, so, <laughs> so cool. Like, yeah, I so, love stuff like that because exactly. it's just it's we're we're the same. It's like the people back then and today were all the same people. We do all the same stuff. We still get constipated and it still sucks. Like it's great. <laughs> Yeah, like they, they found these like uh, ancient, like not from like the Middle Ages, they found all these letters of this little boy 
And so like basically hundreds of letters that this little boy wrote. And so we know all about this like one kid and <laughs> and his life, but we don't know much about anyone else, but like just his stuff survived. And it's like so interesting seen through like his lens uh, of Definitely. what it was. Yeah. That stuff is really cool. That reminds me, I, I watched a YouTube video not too long ago where this, this was with like, you know, 2 a.m. I'm like going down like a massive rabbit hole on YouTube of just weird, obscure stuff. Um, these there's a like an actual board game that was discovered, uh, like excavated in some I forgot where it was or what it was, some like ancient Babylonian like city or something. It was a little tiny like tablet that, that they figured out was a board game. <laughs> Because with it, they discovered um, a little, like you said, like a little clay tablet where they wrote out all the instructions. Um, this guy wrote it to like his friend. It was like, hey, man, here's this game. Here's how you play it. I think I think it was in cuneiform um, that he wrote it, which we, ha which we were able to translate. And these two guys just sat down and played this board game from like 4,000 years ago or whatever it was. And the, the, which is really cool. The funny thing is I was looking through Steam the other day. And um, I actually found a, a recreation someone made on Steam of that board game. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing ever of like this 4,000 year old unearthed board game that you, you can now play on Steam for like $5. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's what I want to see like that. And I feel like I'm not the only one. We're not the only ones. Like other people are looking for those kind of experiences because we've kind of done the shooty shoot enough. <laughs> yeah. How we conquistador skeletons though. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the same rep, the same um, kind of mindset. There is one game that me and Airdorf designed at a previous job that's a little bit related. Um, we were supposed to try to design like a mascot for the company. It ended up going way off course, but on something way more interesting. Um, it was a game revolving around um, Andean cryptids um, of like the Andes mountain region of South America, which is like Peru. Bolivia, um, all the way down to like Argentina. And so we started like delving into the folklore of that region and um, stuff like, you know, Machu Picchu and all the Incan ruins and stuff like that. Um, and getting like really deep. And then our boss was like, all right, like what's what's the uh, mascot you came up with? And we're like, uh, she, she's like an abuela from uh, Bolivia who is also a wrestler and she wears a bowler hat. <laughs> And they were like, okay, okay, um, maybe not that. Uh, maybe we can come up with something else. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's okay. We're going to have, like, um, all these cryptids, like, you know, El Sombrerón, which is, like, um, oh, what, like, like uh, the Headless Horseman, but he has, like, a really big hat. Like, it's cool, right? And he's like, um, no. <laughs> but so we, we, like, fully fleshed this game out, and then the, the company um, went under pretty much. But it's like one of these days we're gonna be able to get back and make that one. Is like, and, um, the fact that you guys are from Texas has anything to do with your interest in this? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> he, a, a number of years ago, Airdorf went on. Uh, it was like a mission trip for two years in Argentina. Wow. And so he he like you know he he's fluent in Spanish and apparently his dialect is Argentinian and people pick up on it right away if they speak Spanish. Uh, which I think is really interesting. But um, so he learned about a bunch of that stuff there. And actually a lot of it, um, a lot of like the, the weird folklore and stuff and like rituals from his experiences of like the street religion, I guess, from there made it into faith. He has like, he has a direct excerpt from his diary in faith one. 
he just changed the names and it's really really cool um you're like in the basement in faith one and there's a note from i forget what the guy's name is but it talks about um san la muerte and how like these these like figurines started floating in the air and they like talked to the children and stuff that's actually from his real diary that he like took and put in the game okay yeah um, see that's a really interesting topic to me because uh, like so wait so is erdorf haunted no, he's he's just seen he's heard about some stuff okay. down in Argentina. Yeah, I feel like game devs, uh, um, and this goes for like writers, this goes for painters, this goes for like video editors, what, whatever pr profession you have, is people get really into their own like hobby of like whatever it is, and this goes for game devs where we just like a lot of them just recycle the same ideas over and over again because they are inspired from other video games. But like, I think it's extremely important that you're interested in things outside of video games. And that's how you become more creative and like make better ideas that people really gravitate to. Absolutely. That's 100% true. And I'm 100% um, guilty of that like at all times because I don't do anything but make but, like make and play video games because I'm, I'm really lazy and I have like one interest. But um, I mean, Shigeru Miyamoto has said the same. Or at least done the same. Like, Pikmin exists because he likes gardening and is like, what if there were little people running around? And so he made Pikmin. Um, and then the same with, like, you know, Zelda and all those games. He just, like, does stuff and he says, hmm, what if that was a game? And then he, yeah. he you know, makes massive franchises that everyone in the world loves. Um, so you're right, but I, <laughs> I wish I did that more. I just don't. I mean, you could. I, yeah, I could. That's the story of my life. I could do something, but I just don't. <laughs> But I'm really lazy and I'm afraid of change. Oh, yeah. Ah. Uh, well, I don't know. If you like where you are now, it's fine. No, I, I don't, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hey, you get to make games for us at least. Yeah, I've, I've really been liking doing the DreadX collection because it's like given me like a reason to actually like try to make games. I, One of the things I've discovered about myself is left to my own devices, I'm never going to do anything. Like, yeah, I can make games. I do have game ideas, but I just, like, don't have any motivation to, like, start. Mm -hmm. um, so being like, hey, you want to do this? Here, go do it. It's like, oh, okay. And then I go and, and I make games, which is great. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm weird. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I've, I've kind of learned through this whole process is that, like, you know, you, you give a game developer, indie game developer, no restrictions or no time limit. And they're like, well, I made a level. It took me four weeks to make one level, and we haven't worked on any of the mechanics yet. Whereas if you're like, hey, here's a very, very set period of time to work on something, they can crank the whole thing out pretty quickly. Um, a lot of it's just, you know, motivation. Yeah. Um, I've learned over the years that I'm motivated mostly by last-minute panic, mm -hmm. um, and it's entirely negative motivation. It's like, I'm not like, yeah, let's go do this. It's like, oh, no, I have to do it now or else it's not going to be done. Oh, gosh. Um, and that's where I really excel, and I hate every minute of it. <laughs> Wait, haven't you said something similar to that to me before? Ooh. Probably. I probably said it word for word before. Mm. Oh. I think Ted has said it like like I thrive in the panic or something like. No, no, that. I'm I'm really really good under pressure. Um, like I, I don't thrive in panic. Like I do, I do perfectly fine when there's like when I'm self motivated. Like obviously I do fine when I'm self motivated. I'm publishing these stupid these great games. I, I can't I need to stop using the word adjective stupid just kind of generally because I use like oh look at this stupid cat and people are like you don't like the cat I'm like no he's great look how stupid he is. How dare you? I know right. Uh, by the way, my cat is incredibly stupid. Um, oh, I, my, my dog is very stupid. I understand. Yeah, love the guy. Very, very dumb. 
Uh, yeah, I think actually, um, I'm, I'm motivated by last minute panic, but I think if there was like somebody else relying on me, that would be a huge motivator. Um, uh, which is I, why you don't I'm, want to have kids. That well, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I, I'm an ISTJ for all you Myers Briggs heads out there, Ooh, um, which a lot of a lot of what what you see on those is like they're they're duty bound. They have an honor to uphold when when they have like an oath to somebody else, which um, is that's it's a funny way to say it, but it's pretty true. Like if someone else is counting on me, I'm gonna like do whatever I can or like die to to make it happen. And if I say I'm gonna do something, like I'm going to do it 100%. Um, that's that's the like the duty bound part like it's 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 on my oath as like on my honor as a space marine that i'm going to do this or else <laughs> i'll die trying that's amazing i wish like more developers were like that instead of uh you know like being flimsy and back and forth wishy-washy like not everyone is but like some of them are and you're like okay we're expecting you and then they it just doesn't happen so that sounds not too bad but also yeah. It sounds stressful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm 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 like the most honest and straightforward person I know. Like, if I'm not gonna do, if something's not gonna happen, I'm gonna tell you, and say, yeah. look, uh, it's not gonna happen. It's my fault because um, I like slept in today, or I, it just didn't happen because I I took too long to get it done. Sorry. Um, and then you just move on from there. Um, yeah. So like I. The, the good thing is, like, me and Ted don't mind that at all. Like. <laughs> Like we're, it's we're so pretty... much better to be to be told that, hey, it's not going to happen. Here's why. Here's what we're going to do moving forward. Then yes. like, oh no, dude, it's going to happen. Oops, it didn't. Hee <laughs> hee. Exactly. Um, everyone, I'm pretty sure almost all people would rather you be honest with them and something be bad, than um, be dishonest like in any way. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, like... I'm having flashbacks of a bad job that did that to me. But go ahead. Yeah. At least with me, if someone's like dishonest to me, like in any stretch of the word, I like immediately like never want to talk to them again. <laughs> it's it's like because like I said, I'm I'm really honest and straightforward, <clears throat> straightforward. And if someone's not that way, it's like, what do you like? Get out of here! What are you doing here? Don't talk to me. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess that's maybe why we work well together because like me and Ted are the exact same way. Like we just like like when I he interviewed me, it was just like really obvious that I I, I like. I went full balls to the wall in this interview. I was just like, okay, so this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm terrible at. This is what I'm going to do for you. Like, I was just extremely honest about everything that I could do for Dread and also things that I don't know. Like, I don't know everything. Like, nobody does, right? So, but I'm not, like, so many people lie in job interviews and resumes, and I don't. And uh, I think Ted appreciated that. And so that's, and, so, and also Ted's like been honest with me about like his struggles and what he's good at and what he's not good at and all that stuff. And it makes it, and then that way we can plan ahead of time for things. Exactly. You know, you, you know where, to, what gaps to fill in. Yeah. I mean, I, I know it's not really that way most of the time, but I feel like that's the best. Um, it should be the best way to go into the job interview. Cause here's the whole package. Here's the positives. Here's the negatives. You want me or not. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cause Everything I've ever read about job interviews, it's like, no, you got to, if they ask you, what's your biggest weakness, you have to respond and make it sound like it's a positive, um, yeah. which is, it's it's like you're playing the game, which I hate anything that's like that. Like, just just tell me what you want. Come on. Yeah. And me and Ted are, are just like that, too. Ted, we're talking about uh, honesty. No, I know. I, uh, I I figured that out due to contextual clues. <laughs> okay. Um, that, I'm, I'm real smart. Yeah, that, that takes me back to, I think I told you about this, the, the time I interviewed at EA. 
Um, oh, tell us about that. Yeah, and this it was it was a huge process. It was for the the Simpsons um, mobile game. Um, as a as a content designer for that, essentially writing Simpsons episodes, kind of for the game, which I I never even watched the Simpsons. Which I told them, I was like, I've never seen The Simpsons. Is that okay? And they're like, it's fine. Trust me, I was the same way. It's like, all right, sweet. Um, but so everything was fine. I had like nine interviews with like thirteen different people the whole day. It was ridiculous. Oh god. But um, I got to this one guy, and this was it like the the height, the very peak of all the debacle about the loot boxes in uh, Star Wars Battlefront Two, and kind of in general. Mm-hmm. It was like the discussion was like at, at its peak. And so I sit, I've been having a good time all day. I sit down with this guy at the table. And one of the questions he asked, he's like, all right, how do you feel about the loot boxes? And that, that was his question. He leaves it there. And I was like, uh, uh-oh. Like, he, he like launched a nuke into my court. And now it was my like job on how to handle that. Um, which, I mean, I guess that's one strategy to interview somebody. But it was, it was very uh, stress, stress-inducing. So... Um, I, I don't, I'm not like, I don't really like loot boxes. Like if you can, if it like affects kind of the gameplay, like if I can buy my way into being like objectively better than everyone else, that's like not cool. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with if it's like cosmetics or whatever, I don't care. Um, but if you start like, uh, like an online game, like, like Battlefront, if you start the game and one player had like, one player will always have an advantage over the other, regardless of like the matchup. If if like the if the the player who doesn't have all the the loot box content um, is like always going to lose, like that's for me as a game designer, that's not really like good like good game design. Um, I like all the players to be on an equal playing field, and then whoever is the most skilled or lucky, I guess, um, is going to be the winner. Like that's how games work, right? Um, and loot boxes throw that off by being like, no, he he is like, you know, starts ten levels above you, you have no chance. And so, I I relayed this this um, opinion or I guess mentality to him, um, without even you know referencing any EA games or Battlefront. I talked about For Honor, um, and their their kind of pay to win system that I I was playing the game at that time, mm-hmm. and um, he he wasn't like, oh, all right or anything. I think he just like stayed silent, which made it worse. Oh, um. Yeah. But I, I tried having like the most diplomatic answer while still being like true to myself. I wasn't going to be like, you know what, love loot boxes. Wh- where to cash at? <laughs> it was like it was like as a game designer, I don't really like this kind. I'm okay with this kind. Um, using this other one, and then of course I mentioned that I played Magic the Gathering before, and he was like, all right, well, what about Magic? Uh, what about card packs? Are those okay? And I was like, dude, like, oh, come on, please. Yeah. I don't like- know. Yeah, like the, every, like most, not, some people I've talked to that work in AAA absolutely love AAA. They love where they work. Like they're, they're a good fit for it. But most people I know go to AAA just to get that experience, just to get that, that, you know, thing on their resume. And they tell me or like other indies that you need to go to AAA too. And I asked them, well, did you like it? Like, how was your experience? And they're like, oh, I hated it. It was like super stressful. And I'm like, why are you telling me that to go there? <laughs> You need some more stress. Come on. My stress, not their stress. Sorry, what? Just you. You just need some more stress in your life. Come work here. Yeah. So, like, I'd rather see. I'd rather be stressed out, but like, have the developers have like a better experience. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah. I just wanted the paycheck and the benefits, honestly. 
Yeah. Um, I'm like, I could I could afford rent a little bit better if I got paid more, uh, and had insurance. Yeah. I, but, I, I I actually tend to think that like you know working for AAA, a lot of people that I know that have done it is is like you know they try to view it as a stepping stone, and I really. I think that if you're going into it with that perspective, it's fine. Or with the perspective of, like, it's a fucking paycheck, it's fine. But, um, I don't know. I, I think that um, it, the, the downside to it is that you get a very skewed perspective of how the games industry works. It's like, it, yeah. it, like let's, it, 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 it is as if, let's imagine, that you want to be a, uh, a, a professional, like, um, like, social worker or whatever, right? And they said, well, in order to be a professional social worker and do this thing that you love and help people, you have to then first be a cop for six years. And it just completely and I'm not trying to say that all all cops are bad or anything like that. That's not really what this is about. It's about like it gives you a very, very altered perspective on how the industry slash society works. And so if everyone going into India is coming from AAA, then they have a very specific way of like, this is how game design works. And that's why all these Indies studios are like burnout central everyone hates you know not everyone hates it but like there's a lot of indie studios that are essentially just replicating the business practices of triple a studios and that was the end of my statement oh okay (laughs) uh i mean yeah no i mean i think that that's that's a that's a like a genuine issue i mean when we're talking about the industry needing to change like it, the industry actually changing doesn't come from like people standing up on stage and saying like why it needs to change. It comes from actual companies coming out that like will change the nature of the industry. And um, I think that a few companies yeah. do it really well. Um, I know that uh, when I was talking to uh, Rebellion and um, uh, also uh, 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 fucking what's their name? Frictional Games. Uh, they did Amnesia. Rebellion did Sniper Elite. Um, there are a couple of the few companies I talked to that are like, yeah, you know, actually we're feeling good because we don't crunch. So, you know, and it's like, you know, that's, that's so cool when I see a studio that actually like lives up to those, those ideals. Yeah. There's quite a few, like in the, like a lot of the games that like nobody in the Dreadx P Discord plays, uh, but a lot of the games that uh, I play, which are like more like wholesome, cutesy games. Yay. You know, like Kublitz. Uh <laughs> Like those kind of studios, like they really are trying to do that. They are really like focusing on better developer publisher relations uh, while trying, like they're trying to figure out how everyone can make money, how everyone can win. And a lot of it has to do with like small teams. Like, you know, if you have like a huge company, you're stepping on each other, basically. Like some people are always gonna be stepped on so that others can get like super uh, huge amounts of money. And, And that's how it works. So they're trying to figure out ways of like smaller teams that can be more even when it comes to the the revenue um and i was like man that's what i want to do i was in, and like it feels like like dread is like going in that direction as well so that makes me like really excited to work here because like i'd rather have developers get an opportunity to make their dreams come true and do their passion instead of like me just getting more money right yeah definitely um yeah, I really like that. I like that that's a trend coming up because crunch uh, really sucks and it's completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, crunch I, I, is I a product... I wouldn't actually say that all crunch is is bad or unnecessary. There's always going to be a little bit more work towards the launch and the nervousness and with that nervous energy. But the, there's a big difference between like 
crunch being like, hey, you know, we're coming up on release. Let's, you know, get a couple more things done. And I know everyone's nervous and let's do the best to manage that versus like, okay, the last month of your life is going to be, you're going to be in the office for 14 hours a day. And if you don't, then you're going to get fired, you know? Yeah. From my experience, crunch hasn't just been like, oh, we're going to release. Ooh, it's been like, hey, we, we're like really behind. And if we're going to launch at this date, we have a lot more work to do than we thought we would. And so no one's going home today until, you know, we're done. Because um, at, at one of my studios, at the first one I worked at, we had to do some crunch. And that's that's because of that. Um, from my experience, or from what I've learned um, from other people, is crunch is a product of poor um, production planning. Yes. So if you plan everything correctly, everything is done at the right times and you leave enough room for redos and mistakes, then you should not have any crunch because things get done correctly. Um, but if stuff goes wrong mm -hmm. in the planning phase and you end up needing more time than you um, accounted for, then you have to make all up at the end or else your game's not gonna come out, which I would say then just delay the game. But a lot of times that's not what you know is, is possible or what people wanna really do. Um, I would, I'm a proponent of delaying games. Every time a game gets delayed, I'm like, yes, good. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. as again, as Miyamoto, um, the great Miyamoto said before, uh, if a game is delayed, but it comes out and it's good, everyone's going to forget about the delay and they're just going to have the good game forever. So the game is good forever. But if a game is rushed or not delayed and it comes out and it's bad, the game will be bad forever because everyone will remember that. And yeah. so it's like the the delay is like oh I have to wait another month or a year okay but once the game comes out it's like it it exists forever like a movie once a movie comes out you can watch the movie 30 years later it's the same it exists forever and so if if you you're going to forget the the short time that you're going to be waiting and the game's going to be good so I'm always a proponent of delays and I feel like crunch is unnecessary yeah no I I I think that you're uh you're right and I think that when you're talking about those um you know, when you're saying, why don't they just delay it? And it's usually some kind of marketing concern or some kind of publishing concern. Mm -hmm. It's very rarely the developers that are like... Um, well, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, there's literally bad eggs in companies that literally ruin it for everyone else. Like, if you read about Blizzard, you read about Ubisoft, you read about a lot of this infrastructure at Riot, a lot of it has to do with there's, like, one out of, I don't know, 20 people that makes it harder for everyone else because they have their ego, they have their pride, um, or like they don't understand something, they don't like something arbitrarily. And so they wanna delay it or they wanna add something that doesn't make sense to the rest of the team, but you know, they're, they're the ones in charge or the lead. And a lot of times it's like not necessarily the best person for the job, but it's like having to do with office politics. And so that makes everyone suffer because they're like, it's all about the buddy system and not making the best game for like consumers. Well, and then the, the problem, usually stems from a uh, a separation between the rank and file doing the work on the game and the management because it's usually yeah. like the the crunch usually comes from someone in management being like well we're releasing on this date and then someone on the development side saying well we don't have enough time to do all that and then the people at top are like well we're not paying you after that so figure it out and then like it's yeah. just a really disrespectful way to treat your your workers um and, you know, I, I'm sure that everyone that is investing in any project ever wishes there was a magic finish the project button, but it, that doesn't exist in any industry if you want a good product. I mean, of course, you can shit something out, but. 
Yeah, I've yeah. heard uh, senior managers complain about workers complaining about uh, like not getting paid uh, well, and I'm just like, well, of course they're complaining about not getting paid well. Like, what do you? Like they're just they're angry at their employers because they want a decent living and they want like they don't think of their the other employers as a person with a family right and so like we really need to start having more empathy and that's why like uh like all of these successful indies that are coming out right now um, are like first of all they're they're staying small until they have to grow they're they're not like exploding to like thirteen people right away in a studio it doesn't like really work well. To pay 13 people like full time it just it just doesn't uh end well uh <laughs> mm -hmm. so the, they're starting to figure out okay so you start small and then you slowly give out and then you test the waters and experiment and then eventually you also have to come up with a product that people actually like so it's not about just making a studio or making a game it's making something that people will buy so uh you just you have to be smart about it and take it slow because if you try to just like rush into like triple a development like I've literally, I was in an interview with a company and like my general feeling after this interview was like, this company's a scam. Like, <laughs> cause they were so hush hush about everything. They wouldn't talk about stuff. Like everyone there had only been there for three weeks and they're, they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna hire a hundred people by the end of this year. I'm like, this is crazy. And like, I was more than qualified to this job. And they said that I wasn't qualified enough. And I'm like, what are you looking for? Like, I don't even know what this is like. Um, so like and and it's like one of those silicon valley kind of like startup you know venture capitalist companies and so i am just like i'm glad i didn't work there because like i feel like that would be a nightmare yeah no i imagine yeah. I, I know a lot of companies like that that are these like weird where did this money come from and then it gets way big out of nowhere and then you're like are people actually buying your products like where does this money come from and then yeah, yeah. Hmm? Then you telltale and just like shut down out of nowhere. Yeah, it's always that's always kind of like where where did that come from? Where did it go? Like it's I don't know mob laund laundering mob money basically. That sounds familiar to my last studio I worked at a little bit. Mm. <laughs> um, it's a very I'm I'm just gonna say it. You can roll your eyes. California mindset, like very no, California business mindset of. Um, yeah, like for example, like I've worked with Twitch. I haven't worked at Twitch, but I've worked with Twitch. I've been to the headquarters. I've uh, done stuff with the staff before, like collaborations and, and stuff like that. I used to run like a Twitch game dev community uh, that had like 8,000 members. It was it was crazy. And then like Twitch just shut it down. And like but basically what would happen is like nothing would happen because Amazon controlled everything that they were the suits and the staff wanted to do stuff and be and, like do good stuff with the, the streamers. But the street, you know, they did. Yeah, the corporate wouldn't let them. The corporate was like, no, if it makes money, you do it. If it doesn't make money, you can't do this for the streamers. And as a result, like a lot of people like hated Twitch, hated streaming, had like bad faith towards the company because the company would smile to your face and say they're going to make change. And then uh, but it was all just to like, you know, get them off their backs, you know, have good press. They weren't actually going to change anything about the company. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think that a lot of companies, I mean, it can be difficult to try to like, most people don't actually, like when they when they create a company, they aren't thinking about uh, 
where they're managing a company, when they get to the point where they're managing a company, they're not thinking about like, what's the most ethical way to do this? They're like, how am I going to make money so that I can make money so that everyone else can make money so that we can make the most money? And then all these other concerns are secondary. And this is like very real where it's like, you know, the actual concerns of like the welfare of the people working for you or who you're impacting or who your your customers are is like really secondary to the idea of making money. And everything is just like, there's so much theater and show going on that like it's it's almost like you can't actually trust what a company says like ever yeah and that's why like i'm a huge proponent on like you want to be successful in this day and age you have to be authentic you have to be genuine and you have to not just say it you have to like really do it and like that's how you become successful that's like my favorite. yeah but doing it is hard uh yeah but we're doing it so. it's hard though i don't want to do it anymore i want to just lie and then people give me money can we make our next game a roulette wheel so you could you have to put in a quarter every time you want to play a new game and then it just spins and gives you a random one then read read your game can be the premium game it only shows up once every 400 spins yeah wait no that sounds terrible i but but if instead of making ten dollars a game we made two hundred dollars a game that sounds nice, right? Sure. Well, it may, imagine I, taking all your money that you have right now and multiplying it by 20. That'd be nice. Zero times 20 is still zero, Ted. Checkmate. <laughs> you got me there. Uh, anyway. Yeah, Star, I think, I think what you're saying is we need more companies who hate money, right? Oh. <laughs> Uh, you know what's funny about that too is like well no i don't i don't think that way at all uh, <laughs> that definitely is a new blood thing but like dave loves money dave dave's you know both david and dave they love money they have money you know i know that's a tagline but like they you know they are a business and they want to pay people and if they want to keep like having thriving business and helping developers they need to keep making money so it really yeah i know you weren't serious but <laughs> Like yeah, I, I mean it's it's yeah. working. I mean, the, yeah. the the number of games they give out is like, all right, dudes, but that that just you know, the thing that, that we just said about being real and authentic and stuff is like, they like they don't care. Like here, have a game, whatever. It's a game. Who cares? Yeah. And then that people are like, oh, that's cool. And then they go buy the rest of their games. See, I feel like a lot of it is like bravado too with New Blood. Like it's it's very obvious. Like, you know, like. I don't know how it works it just happens and it's all fluffy and we're just like you know and it's but really there is like a lot of serious business doing done but they just like make it appear like it's so easy yeah but it's not. you know like they make really good games it's hard to make really good games and like obviously they make excellent games so they they have to have like a very strict uh way that they do that you know they're not just it, they're not just gonna wake up start coding and then it comes out perfectly like there's a lot of iteration and there's a lot of behind the scenes, but but their you know outside appearance is like very fluffy. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 The the most I know about um, New Blood's inner workings is I, I emailed Dave Oshry one time. So hey, do y'all like do y'all need any QA testers or anything? And he was like, No. Here's a key to maximum action. I was like, All right, thank you. Uh, and that's all the interaction yeah. I've had. So I that, that's it. Yeah, you have not seen Dave Oshry in work mode. It's very no, different. No, I haven't. It's a Chad persona. <laughs> all, I, all I see is his like memes on Twitter, and that's all I know about him. I, yeah, work, exactly. I work with him far more than I ever thought I would. You know what's weird? I, I, I was talking to uh, David Chanansky last night about this for something else that uh, we're working on. And I was like, it's weird how quickly 
this kind of all became normal to me, you know, like talking to these people, running in these circles, doing this work. And, you know, it's, it's really weird to think about how, you know, not even a year ago I was working for the city of Phoenix. I mean, I was still a journalist, but, you know, my main job was working for the city of Phoenix. And I started this website kind of out of the blue. I mean, there was a plan behind it, but it was very, very quickly coming together. And we started making the games kind of as a, you know, how are we going to get indie developers help during COVID? You know, it was like kind of a, our own personal COVID relief kind of system. And, um, you know, and now like I'm doing, I, I mean, I, I take probably four or five calls every day, like just about work shit uh, with like people that matter. <laughs> like, where the fuck did I come from? But it's like now, like I, 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 I understand because it's like I, it's now like it, it. You know, I was talking to Star about um. It says it's, that's why this is one of the reasons I love having Star around is like, you know, she was like, you know, this is like, you know, it's so cool that my name is going to be listed as a producer in the credits, and I was like, ah, oh, yes, I remember how I felt when my name was first listed as a producer in the credits. <laughs> two months ago <laughs> it's like not that long but it already kind of feels like old hat and so if you're not oh you're new here huh well no and that's kind of my, my roundabout point is like you know every every achievement that you're you're striving for is eventually going to become your new normal so you're going to have to have a greater purpose that you're serving than just self-gain because the 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 perpetual pursuit of self-gain is eventually going to like it it, it is it is a perpetually refilling goal like it never ends and it always leads to more want that always leads to eventual emptiness because you will eventually reach the 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 height of what you can achieve like even jeff bezos is still gonna die you know like he can't achieve immortality and there will be a certain point where like his his pursuit of the self will will eventually fail its ability to fill that void within you and if you instead your goals are to instead of personal gain is to help it's to help others like there is a limitless supply of others to help and there is never a diminishing return on what you can achieve through helping others and and to being a better person in this in this in whatever industry you're a part of so that's my message um, yeah, I think the one of the most important things I want to talk about, which is like what Torpel also has said earlier, was that everything is uncomfortable until it's comfortable. Oh, sorry, my phone went off. Everything is uncomfortable until it's comfortable, which means that, you know, programming is scary until it's not. Art is scary until it's not. Social media is scary until it's not. Running a business is scary until it's not, right? Death so is scary until it's not be scared of it but like it only will take like you're gonna make your life and your world very tiny if you're just like i can't do that like that's too hard for me like you need to get uncomfortable sometimes and, yeah. and like the more that you're used to it the, and you can get over it quicker the more you know you're gonna achieve things in life it's mm -hmm. true I'm, I'm an example of exactly that well, I think I talked about it on the last podcast, but um, I was like really intimidated of like jumping into like coding because I'd made games for a while, but I was always strictly game designer, not game like coder. Mm -hmm. We had like a separate programming team that was like, hey, hands off scrub, no no designers allowed, and which was fine with me. I was happy that way. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh no, man, this programming stuff, this is, this is like a lot, dude. I don't know about this. 
And then so for for Earl's day off, there was the fishing horror jam. Me and Erdorf were like, you know what? Let's let's just do it, bro. Let's see what happens. And then like both of us hadn't really like coded in Unity before. Erdorf had done Game Maker, but that's not the same. Um, and so we just jumped in and like it worked. And I was like, oh, that's not too bad. And so I was I was scared at first, but it was like. If, if I finally worked up the courage to be like, what could I possibly lose? And then now here I am, which is ridiculous. I'm I'm still blown away daily that I can just like message people like David Shemansky or any of the other crazy people we have on our Discord to like, hey dude, I like your game, and they're like, oh, I like yours too, and it's like, what are you what are you talking about? That's crazy. Like <laughs> the uh, Daniel Mullins like. Yeah. He has released the trailer for his new game, and it looks freaking sick. I played the, the, the the what the demo he made, I guess, for the uh, the game jam. Um, sacrifices must be made. Like I sent that to Airdorf, and we were like, "Dude, this is sick! What the heck?" And then he made the whole one, and I'm like nerding out. And then I'm like talking to my Discord. I'm like, "Wait, oh, that's right, you're that guy. Oh, jeez." And it's like I have these <laughs> moments all the time. And it's like the guy who made World of Horror is here, and I like nerd out about that stuff all the time. And it's like, what, what happened? Why, why am I like being associated with these people? Where, where, where did I go? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still, I still feel like the nobody loser who's thrown into the into the the crab bucket with all these hot shots. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, the cool thing yeah. is, is that, uh, you know, what we're talking about of, you know, being uncomfortable and stuff, you know, in the in the vast future, when after Reed has millions of followers and all this and, and trillions of dollars, of course, from all of his sick ass video games, please, it's worth remembering that, you know, uh, when, like I said, when we first like picked you up, I think you had like 88 followers on Twitter, like, yeah, you're, you're never too small to like, just do something like, you know, go out of your comfort zone try something new and you know like i said your game of the first collection was one of the most popular ones and it's like that's super cool it's just some guy that you know we had a recommendation for but that was basically it and you know so for anyone out there looking to work with someone that is oh if they're too small they're not going to give me enough lift don't fucking worry about that and also if you're the small guy and someone comes to you and says hey make this thing for us don't worry about the, the the how uncomfortable and different and strange and new it's going to be. Just fucking go for it. So that's what I think. Just fucking go for it. Life's too short. Like, do you want to do you want to reach sixty and be like, I never did it? Like, who wants to do that? So yeah, exactly. I just okay. So I remember having this conversation with like Rami Ishmael, who uh, I don't know. He made a company called Lambier and did this game like Nuclear Throne and a few others. Yeah, pretty uh, small. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I asked him, I was like, how do you do what you do? How do you become successful? Blah, 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 blah. You know, this is like a few years ago. And he's like, I like, he told me this like whole metaphor about his grandma and how <laughs> it was this whole story. But basically it came down to you take care of yourself first and then you can take care of other people. And it took me like two years to like kind of understand because he kept telling me this every time I asked him. Um, and it, it took two years for me to finally understand what he meant. And he meant that, like, I had to build my own platform, like me, Star, before I could help other indies. Because, like, I just always have wanted to help people like you, Torval, you know? Uh, and even you, Ted, you know? Like, I've always wanted to be like, okay, so this is how you strategize and do this, this, and this. This is how you organize and, 
blah 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 this is like how you like customers want this for monies and stuff like that like uh because i'm interested in that stuff because like that's what you have that's what somebody has to learn that for somebody else to be successful does that make sense <laughs> Yeah. Like some somebody needs to be the creative that does the thing and then there needs to be that other person who makes the money and figures out the money part. And so like that's I wanted to be that person because nobody did that for me. Like I was all by myself and um so I was like fine. Like I'm just going to do it all myself and and see where it goes. So um I also appreciate this opportunity. Um, and hopefully like we can see where it can take us so like we can keep helping more people you know it'll take yeah. us to to take us into the dreadx collection 2 and the future although the dreadx collection 2 available august 21st buy our game, buy our game. please i need please. the money <laughs> actually we do have to start wrapping it up here because uh, we are reaching the the you know hour and a half mark so we should probably well, wait, be wrapping this up guys again what she don't want to talk about buff guys again Mm, I well, you know when I like had to take a break earlier. Uh, I'm all good now, so. <laughs> okay. So, uh, anyways, guys, um, that was uh, a podcast about our video game, and uh, you should buy it on August twenty first. I, I think I think we mentioned the game a couple of times, right? Yeah, it's uh, well. I didn't want to spoil it, you know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the DreadX Collection 2 on Steam on August 21st. Um, and you know what? We've got some other cool stuff coming up before the launch of the game. We've got a few more interviews left to do. And, uh, you know, there, we're, we're still working on some other cool stuff, too. So always stay tuned. Check on DreadXP.com for all the newest indie news, horror stuff. And also, you know, check out our Twitter for whatever new announcements we may have, which neither confirming or denying that we have announcements in the future. Well, I'm confirming that we have announcements in the future. I'm not confirming what they are. So anyways, figure that out, nerds. All right, talk to you all later. Bye. And he thinks that what we've done by creating cities and electricity and electronics and you know social media and all the bullshit that we deal with today, that we've disconnected ourselves from the things that, that really make us human. And that I believe his, that his his life is more connected to it, but there's even a deeper connection, and that's how the Navi lived. How the Navi lived. How 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 how, how the Navi lived. <laughs>